the Holy Family Chapel Hill podcast, where you will find our weekly sermons, as well as the occasional reflection, conversation, or interview. We are glad you are here. Welcome. speak to you today in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When was the last time that you had to wait for something for a very long time? It might be a difficult question for you and I to answer because we live in a culture and in a world that does not like to wait on things. We prize efficiency, we prize immediacy and convenience. We live in the world of the internet and the smartphone, where everything is just a moment away and at our fingertips. And yet, to wait on things, to wait in anticipation of a future that is not yet present, cuts to the very heart of what it means to be a human being. In the end, despite all of our impatience, despite all of our attempts to stop having to wait for things, the necessity of waiting catches back up to us. The pattern of everyday life, it turns out, is always a pattern of waiting on something. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for interest to go down, hopefully soon? Are you waiting for inflation to cool? Are you waiting for a call from a family member that you have not heard from? We are waiting creatures. This is actually, by the way, why Advent is my favorite season of the church year and why it should be yours too. Because Advent is the season that we are always in as Christians. We are always awaiting the coming of the Lord who came to us once in humility and will return in power and great glory. The parable that Jesus tells us today that we just heard from Matthew chapter 25 is a story of, about what it means to wait. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus tells us, will be like ten bridesmaids who take their lamps and go out to meet the bridegroom. Weddings 2,000 years ago in ancient Palestine were quite different than they are today. For one, there was no wedding industrial complex that was trying to sell you the night of your dreams, no romantic sunset on the beach or barn wedding to invite all of your friends to. But even so, they were full of fun and wine and dancing. They were great times to which the whole village would have been invited. But they were also long and protracted affairs. What we would today call the wedding party would gather at the home bridegroom and wait there while the bridegroom departed and made the final arrangements for the marriage. 
The bridesmaids would wait for him return so that they would then escort him in a torchlit procession to a celebratory wedding feast. So as Jesus tells this parable, notice the palpable sense of joy and expectation that it immediately invokes for his listeners. See, the bridesmaids, their their possibility of being snubbed by the bride or groom is already out of question. They have been invited to this great party, and all that they see in the future is cake, dancing, and merrymaking. Maybe a sentimental toast, too. All that's left to do is to wait for the party to begin. But in Jesus' story, not everything goes according to plan. For some unspoken reason, not told why, the bridegroom is delayed. Minutes of waiting turn into hours. Daylight begins to fade away. Edsmaid's eyelids get droopy, and they fall asleep. In the Bible, sleepiness is a common theme. You might be sleepy right now. And it's never a good thing in the Bible. The prophets accuse the, uh, the leaders of Israel of loving to slumber. And of course, you'll remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the hour of Jesus' agony, he told his friends to keep watch and pray. And what do they do? They fall asleep. Sleepiness represents spiritual inattentiveness, laxness, impatience in the face of God's promises. The earliest Christians understood themselves to be living in the very last days. They expected him, they respected, they expected Christ to return in glory and wake them up before the end of their lifetime, for God's kingdom to come in its fullness very, very soon. But Needless to say, that did not happen. The years passed, then a decade, and then another, and 2,000 years later, here we are, the church, waiting in faith, waiting to be woken up, wondering if the Lord will return at all. But come again, he will. Inattentive and sleepy, though you and I may be. In the dark and quiet of the night, a cry emerges. The bridegroom, late for his own party, arrives. And with little warning, a long-delayed wedding feast is at last going to begin. Wake up. Sleepy eyes. Each of the bridesmaids wake up from their slumber to get the party started at long last. But after a long night, not all of them are prepared for this. Jesus calls five of the bridesmaids wise, and the other five he calls foolish. See, when they had showed up to the party, the so-called foolish bridesmaids had brought only enough oil to fuel their lamps for the night, and their wicks had dried up sometime shortly after midnight. But the wise ones, the wise ones brought extra oil, enough to fill their lamps and keep it burning long into the next day. 
wise, and foolish. We should pause here and think about this, though. We should think about how strange this actually is. Why would Jesus call the bridesmaids who brought extra oil wise? After all, think about it. Put yourself into the story for a minute. They were invited to a daytime wedding feast. They were invited to a wedding that would last only until maybe early evening. Showing up to a party, carrying an extra gallon of kerosene with you, what we today call a party foul. (laughs) And it would make you look like a complete and utter fool, right? You would look foolish. Nothing could be more silly, more laughable. It's actually the bridesmaids that Jesus calls foolish who live according to the ordinary prudential basis of what is most likely to happen. Nothing could be more sensible than what they do, only bringing what you need, right? But this is the kingdom of God we're talking about. The kingdom of God is an upside-down world. A world where God has shamed the wise by the foolishness of the cross of Jesus. The foolish bridesmaids, see, they represent the wisdom of this world, the live-by-what-you-see kind of wisdom. The wise bridesmaids, on the other hand, the ones prepared to welcome and to go with the bridegroom long into the night, represent the wisdom of faith. The wisdom of a life lived on trust, on the trust uh, uh, on the basis that of the impossible possibility that the bridegroom will indeed come again and invite us to the feast, no matter how late he may be. This is a wisdom that, by all ordinary accounts, is foolish. It is a foolish wisdom. Faith is a foolish wisdom. There's also a warning, though, and I would be remiss if I did not miss in the passage. The foolish bridesmaids want to accompany the bridegroom. They want to eat wedding cake and drink champagne with everyone else, but they don't have enough oil to go along the way in the procession. Their lamps would be dark. Could they have joined the procession with empty lamps? Could they have walked in the dark? The story does not actually tell us whether they could have joined or not. I would invite you to think about that. Maybe they could have come handed. What they do, in fact, do, though, is they turn to the wise ones and they say, give us your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise say, No, there is not enough for everyone. By the way, we might think that these wise bridesmaids were being kind of stingy or kind of selfish, but that's entirely to the point. The point is that it's dark outside. In the first century, it would have been very, very dark, darker than we could really imagine. The logic behind this is it's better to have five lit lamps than to be walked entirely in the dark at all. So they say, no. We cannot give you any of our oil. If you're so bright and savvy, if you're unwilling to join the festivities empty-handed, go to the dealer 
and buy yourself some more if you must have oil. But it's past midnight, and it turns out that the 7-Eleven around the corner doesn't sell lighter fluid. The door to the party is shut, and the feast begins. When they finally do arrive at the feast, they say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replies, truly, I do not know you. Not, I never loved you. Not, you weren't invited to the party. No, he says, no, truly, I never knew you. Someday, later or sooner, there will be a day for each of us, a great wake-up call. A great blast of the last trumpet will pierce through our drowsiness and wake us up. And unless we are attentive, we keep watch, it will be too late even to believe, for we will have missed the bridegroom. Not because he didn't invite us, but because we did not care to know him. The most important question, the question that the only question that really matters about this story in the first place. What is inside those lamps? And how do I get some? Someone else can't give it to you. You can't get it from over the counter at 7-Eleven past midnight. What does it mean for us, for the church, in all of these weary and discouraging hours and days to wait in faith for the coming bridegroom? to wait in foolish wisdom. In a few short moments, we are going to baptize little Tucker. He's going to be drugged through the water of baptism, and he will be marked with the sign of this foolish wisdom on his forehead. I will use oil to mark the sign of the cross on his head and say these words, Tucker, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. See, if we are filled with the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit, it will fuel the light of Christ within us, a light that will never, ever go out, a light that will mark us as guests of the eternal feast of the bridegroom. The Spirit's oil is all the fuel that we'll ever need for the journey. But the Spirit's gift of faith, the Spirit's oil, the Spirit's gift of foolish wisdom is one that we have to hold on to and never, ever let go of, lest we hear those terrible words of judgment in the last day. How to get this oil? Well, the parable doesn't actually tell us. But Jesus does tell his disciples. See, in the passage that follows this, we hear that from Jesus again. I never knew you. But this time, it is not targeted towards some foolish bridesmaids. No, it's targeted towards another group of people. A group of people who did not feed the hungry group of people who did not clothe the naked, a group of people who did not visit those in prison. For if you did it to the least of these, Jesus says, you did it 
to me. Friends, this is what it means to keep watch for the Lord. It means to be so practiced in Bible study, so practiced in prayer, so practiced in daring reach out to those in great need, freely pouring out our resources to the poor, to the needy, willing to make sacrifices of our time, our livelihood, our effort. For what else than this? What else could be more foolish in a world marked by violence, by self-assurance, and by cruelty? But what else could be more wise in the kingdom of God than to love the poor, the friendless, and the needy? What could be more wise in the kingdom where the Lord God is coming to judge the earth? Keep watch, for no one knows the day or the hour when the bridegroom will come. Are you prepared to greet him? Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about the Church of the Holy Family at holyfamilychapelhill.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week. Peace be with you.